Podcast talking all things Disney with your hosts El John Go and Dave Bossert. Happy New Year! If this is your first time checking out the Skull Rock Podcast, welcome, welcome. Every week we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never before heard stories, behind the scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and much more. I'm your co-host Al John Go. I'm a musician, longtime Marvel, Disney, and Star Wars fan and pop culturist. And you can email me, aljohn, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard. I'm the resident troublemaker, and <laughs> I'm happy to be back in the new year. Uh, welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get pod- your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Yay. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Hey. Wow. Happy New Year, Al John. Happy New Year, Dave. And happy, and, ha- and happy New Year to our audience. Yeah, absolutely. We missed you, um, you know, as I ran some, some greatest hits, uh, which is pretty cool over the past couple of weeks. Um, I know. It's kind of crazy, holidays. isn't it, Al John? I mean, it's like vintage. We're running some vintage shows. <laughs> vintage programming. Season. You know, we've been on for over a little over a year. We're, we're already running vintage shows. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we... <laughs> You know, we started we started this little engine, you know, a little small engine, and then it just grew to a a, a nice V six. So uh, we're going to the V eight this year. So, well, you, you know, know, I got to tell you, it's hard to believe that we started this well, well, really over a year ago in the midst of the pandemic, and here we are still in a pandemic, <laughs> still going, <laughs> <laughs> right? And uh, you just escaped the hot zone. I, I know that you had been. Um, celebrating your mom's birthday. So uh, happy, happy birthday um, to your mom. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was touch and go there for a moment because she wound up going in the hospital on New Year, uh, excuse me, on Christmas Eve, she went in the hospital because she got COVID. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How about yeah. That? And and she went in the hospital for a couple of days and and spent uh, her Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in the hospital. And then they released her and she's absolutely fine. So when when we flew into New York, uh, she was already out of her quarantine and was doing actually really well. Uh, so we wound up uh, celebrating uh, Christmas at the house on uh, Thursday, the 28th. Mm. I guess it was, it was a Thursday, the 28th or no, the 29th, <laughs> Thursday, 29th. the 29th. I'm yes. losing track of time here. That's all right. Um, but yeah, you know, so, uh, you know, we, we flew in, we, we canceled everything we were going to do in New York. I have to tell you, Al John, yeah. you know, cause we wanted to go into the museum in Manhattan and see that, you know, uh, uh, Disney, Disney meets Baroque, yeah. Uh, yeah. or Disney meets Rococo, uh, uh, show that's going on. We wanted to see that. We wanted to visit with some friends. I had some, I had some business lunches and things like that. And, and we just canceled the whole thing and just hung out at my mother's house well yeah that that's a that's disappointing but hey you know at least you were you know you were okay mom's okay you have your yeah. health and, and you were able to and spend we wanted to play it safe 
Yeah, you wanted to play you it know? safe. And I'm yeah, gonna say we, we, we had to. I mean, with a 91 year old mother, you got to play it safe. Exactly. Well, I'm hoping too that maybe next time you go back to New York, you can check out and take some pictures of that Marvel hotel they have over there. Because oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I know that they have that Marvel hotel, and I people just rant and rave about how good that that hotel is. I, I got to uh, check it out. Yeah, we got to definitely check it out. Well, uh, well, I'm glad you're back here in the um, in in the driver's seat here with with me on the show because we've got an awesome uh, show lined up. It's not every every day where a Disney legend. Um, has its birthday on the same day as the release of a show. So why don't you tell everybody who we're going to talk about today? That's right. You know, today on Monday, January 10th is Roy E. Disney's birthday. And uh, he would, yes, the audience, uh, the audience is going wild. Uh, we, I mean, I have to say uh, Roy was born on uh, January 10th, 1930, uh, which makes him uh, 91 today oh man yeah you know and i i have to say what better way to kick off 2022 than than to celebrate roy a little bit you know because he did so much uh to save the walt disney company not once but twice yeah and uh and he was just a great all-around guy uh so we're gonna celebrate him after we do our news roundup Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Dave, we have a few notable stories to talk about, but before we do that, I know that you weren't able to see any films, movies uh, in theaters in New York while you were gone, but you did catch up on a few things. I did. I did catch up on a bunch of movies. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, while we were in New York, we we did not go to the movie theater, uh, and uh, I, I should say, fortunately, we did not go to the movie theater. Right. Uh, and, and I'm even questioning whether I'm going to go to the movie theaters now that I'm back in Los Angeles, because Los Angeles is another hot zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here we are. But I did watch uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. Right. Beautiful movie. Yep. Um, Aquafina is great, though. By the way, did you not think that? No, no. She she was terrific, and, and I mean, obviously, the character she voices looks like her. It does, and I love that about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we uh, we also watched Encanto. I, I you know what I did too, and I yeah. and I gave it a thumbs up. Yeah, you know, I, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think of the two, I think Raya and the Last Dragon is a stronger movie. Right. I, I mean, I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, what else did I watch? Uh, I watched Matt Damon in Stillwater, yeah. which is a thumbs down for me. I didn't particularly care for it. And that's a shame because I yeah. had high hopes for that. That was in my queue. You know, yeah. it's like, you, I, you, I, yeah, I, look, that's just my opinion. I'm just telling you, you know, I, what I like uh, or don't like. And uh, we also watched Pig uh, starring uh, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage in the crazy eyes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Adam, Adam Markin is in that movie as yeah. well. Uh, yeah. And I have to tell you, a uh, really enjoyable movie. Uh, he's, he's outstanding as always, uh, really terrific. And, uh, the, my only negative on that movie was I felt like the ending was a little bit, um, not satisfying. How's yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, yeah well, I, I le- less than satisfying. It was less than satisfying. I'll yeah, put it to you that way. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. You know? Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. So, uh, well, there you go. There you have it. So, 
Um, there's that roundup from Dave and I'm definitely looking forward to, um, to check out a few more things. I know that we had been, we hadn't been able to talk about the book of Boba Fett, which I have seen the first two episodes uh, streaming. I, and I have not, I'm going to try and catch up on that uh, this week. I like it. I like it a lot. And Good. I think uh, everyone else will dig it. And d- d- uh, let me ask you this though, Al John, uh-huh. is it like, would you say it's in the league of Mandalorian? I think it's getting there, you know, okay, but then great. again, you know, okay. I, I think, I think once again, this is that slow build, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think uh-huh. the Mandalorian also was kind of a slow build to, to begin with, you know, you established the world. Now we're trying to find the motivation uh, for the character. So it's going to lead us through that arc. And I think what there may be like eight, eight, uh, seven, you know, episodes, maybe six. I'm, I'm not really sure. It's a, it's a very small series, but I think it's going to set the table for some really cool reveals uh, midway through the season and toward the end. So I'm um, mm. looking forward to that. And then we also wrapped up Hawkeye, which was was great. Loved it. I yeah. I, I watched the entire uh, series as well, and I I really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. In fact, I have to say, I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed Loki. Oh yeah, yeah. I get it. I I totally get it. Yeah. I, I find I find that that first of all, um, Jeremy Renner is absolutely amazing. He's a great it, actor. He really is. Yeah. I mean, you don't get to see him in enough stuff, you know? And, and, and by the way, I have to say, after Matt Damon did the first three Bourne movies, mm-hmm. Jerry, Jeremy Rayner picked up on the fourth one, mm-hmm. and he was excellent. Yeah, And I got to tell you, following those first three Bourne movies, I was like real skeptical about that fourth one because Matt Damon wasn't going to reprise his role as Jason mm-hmm. Bourne. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but they had Jeremy Rayner in there as another character, and I thought, holy mackerel, this is fantastic. Yeah, I, I think I think that's going to be wonderful. Um, you know, and he's also in a brand new Paramount or Universal series. Um, um, but yeah, people can pick up on him. I mean, literally, he just left. Uh, you know, left us with Hawkeye, and then he's bouncing in another series, a streaming yeah. series on one of the services. So I would definitely check it out, and uh, I'm definitely going to. A couple of breaking news stories here for you. You know, Free Guy uh, with Ryan Reynolds uh, is going to be streaming on Disney Plus um, in February 23rd. Excellent movie. I saw so, that in the theaters. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait to see that uh, myself. Really, um, really well done. I have then, to tell you, really a lot of fun. And then in a couple days from when you hear this, Eternals from Marvel Studios will be coming to Disney Plus on January 12th. So um, a couple things of note that is breaking here on the show. So uh, you get to check that out. But um, uh, and, and, and of course, you and I uh, are different. You know, I've seen Spider-Man, you know, um, a while when it when it came out. So now you got to yeah. get caught up and, and get into the Spider-Man thing. I, I do. I do. And uh, unfortunately, I, I'm going to try and go see it maybe uh, on the weekend uh, in an IMAX screen if it's still playing when locally. It's not busy. But I, don't, it's not I busy. don't know. Yeah. When it's not busy. Yeah. For sure. I get it. Um, speaking of, you know, uh, the pandemic. Right. We have a big story here, Dave. You sent me this um, a few days ago. Hong Kong yeah. Disneyland is going to be closed again because of Omicron. Yeah, and I I wonder I wonder what they're going to do uh, here. I mean, are they going to do anything with Disneyland in California because the spike is happening? Are they going to close for a week or two, or or are they just going to say the heck with it? We're leaving things open. 
Yeah, who who knows what's what's yeah. going to happen um, here? Um, but as it states, it looks like that Hong Kong Disney is going to be shut down from seventh to the twentieth, according to Reuters. And this move yeah. uh, means that the park will be closed on five separate occasions during the pandemic, with this brief closure in late of twenty twenty one. This is the fifth yeah. wave of inspection of infections that are happening, and it continues to uh, employ that zero COVID strategy. Remember, we talked a couple months ago about that brief break, uh, you know, shutdown, and literally they had what the the park had like one case, and everybody was like, "Get uh, in, clear in Shanghai, out. where, Shanghai, they, where they, they locked every everybody in Shanghai." That's it. Yeah. That's it. Shanghai. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I have to tell you, uh, I think people are just fatigued by this pandemic. Uh, one thing I did notice when we were in New York um, uh, was that uh, a lot of there were a lot of people who weren't wearing masks. Uh, there were people who are still saying I'm not getting vaccinated. These anti-vaxxers. Uh, I, I mean, it, it is a bit crazy to me because I just read this, a story of a, of an anti-vaxxer who was very vocal on social media here in California. Uh, she was in her mid to late forties and she passed away from COVID-19. She wasn't vaccinated and she wound up getting it and she passed away. Uh, I just think this is one of those things where, you you know it's not about choice it's it's about life preservation uh and you know uh we we are you know always wearing our mask wherever we go and we did not go out to restaurants because there are people not wearing masks and instead we we did you know we ordered food and had it delivered or we picked it up but you know that kind of a thing mm -hmm. so you know the longer the longer people aren't wearing mass the longer this is going to continue to spread and it's just going to continue to i i think it's going to go from pandemic to endemic and you know al john we were talking before the show started um you know we're going to wind up getting a, a yearly covid shot like we get a flu sure. shot yeah absolutely i don't i don't I, I think it's just going to be the way of things yeah and i think people you know people just need to understand that um you know you you do take whatever side that you're on you make those choices but it could definitely you know not work out in your favor yeah you it's know, unfortunate you know it really is but you know what on a positive note i'm gonna say 2022 we're gonna put this thing in the rearview mirror because each of these variants is getting weaker and weaker mm -hmm. and it's eventually just gonna burn itself out and that, that's ultimately what's gonna happen that's what's happened with past pandemics uh and uh mm -hmm. i'm really hopeful that the second half of 2022 is going to be kind of a back to normal i hope so too until then there is going to be some more films being released direct to the streaming platform. Uh, how's that for a uh, transition there? A segue? That, I was just about to say, what an incredible segue there. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like I've done Al this John, before. the king of segues. Hey, man, you know, they have they have me riding around in the segue, and I'm going to be doing this right now for Turning Red, uh, which is a Disney Pixar brand new movie. It's going to be heading straight for Disney Plus amid that uh, variant that's happening right now. It'll bypass the theatrical release window and launch exclusively on March 11th. It was uh, previously set to hit the big screen. I don't know if it's too late to maybe turn that decision back around, but either way, um, 
given the box office recovery, this is a quote, particularly for family films, flexibility remains at the core of the distribution as the Disney company continues to um, provide unparalleled content for its subscriber base. So, well, I uh, honestly, I can tell you this is not sitting well with filmmakers. Yeah. You know, um, I think, you know, uh, certainly with uh, Soul and with Luca, um, you know, look, with with Soul in in 2020, uh, it does feel like that that was, you know, they had no choice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we really were at the height of the pandemic with, you know, the really bad uh, strains out there that were, you know, know, putting people in the hospital and killing people. Um, and, And so it's understandable that they did that. But, you know, last year with Luca, I really would have preferred to have seen that on a big screen. I have to tell you, Al John, because I did watch it on Disney Plus uh, and I enjoyed it, uh, but it was such a beautiful movie. I think you lose uh, the impact of seeing, you know, uh, seeing it on a small screen compared to the big screen. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and that's a shame because I feel like there's a whole, there'll be a couple years of just lost films. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I think there's also a bit of a stigma when they say, oh, they're putting Turning Red direct, you know, straight to Disney Plus, bypassing the theaters. Uh, there, there's, there is an undercurrent of, well, maybe they didn't really have a lot of faith in the movie. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's the stigma of direct to DVD, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's really what it is if you want to just call it out. And, you know, that is, that is a great analogy. Mm-hmm. It really is, Al John. Again, I have to say, you know, you're you're spot on. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we no longer have direct to DVD or direct to video. Uh, we now have direct to streaming. Streaming. Yeah. And it sucks because first yeah. of all, you know, you had. Let, let's go back in time to when Onward was released. It literally was in the theaters for like two weeks before they pulled it, and that is an amazing movie. You know, you miss out on all those. You miss out on Black Widow. You miss out on a bunch of different things that could have been and should have been in theaters. And Soul is definitely one of those films. It's an amazing film. Great story. And I feel that Turning Red is another one of those going to be lost uh, amid all this streaming. Because once you're at home and you're watching this stuff, you, you, you take the shine off of it being released in a theater. Yep. Absolutely. You know? and, and I feel that way about Luca. I think Luca is going to get lost in the mix. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm sure, I'm Sorry. sure it is with everything else that's happening. And that's a shame because Luca is a great film. I, I feel like, I feel like that is, that, that should yeah. be, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, where it ranks. Well, you. you know, something, the, the, the uh, Mitchell's versus the machines is another really terrific animated feature that went directly to Netflix uh, was not released in the theaters. And, and again, I think it's a gem of the movie. And I would really encourage people, if you have Netflix, you really check out uh, the Mitchell's versus the machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really is a fun movie. Right on. Well, I'll tell you what I loved growing up. I love classic TV shows, and one of them happens to be The Honeymooners. I remember you don't get any you don't get any more classic than The Honeymooners. No, I, I don't think you can really. I mean, other than <laughs> I love Lucy, and uh, and and by the way, looping back again, you know, with the recent loss of Betty White, I did see the Betty White documentary on Netflix, and oh, it warmed okay. my heart. It warmed my heart. I have to say because a she is legendary talent. Uh, whether it's drama or music or, uh, you know, her 
known for her comedic chops in in, oh, in especially in the 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 ending of her uh the last chapter of her career but um the honeymooners are getting a reboot with a female lead um executive producer damon wayans jr from new girl is a showrunner and showrunner lindsey shockley from blackish are developing a new version of the 1955 comedy um this is going to be interesting. You know, I feel like gender bending roles can work if the material is strong enough, because at the end of the day, it's all about story and not about replacing the, the gender of a particular character, but we will have to see. Um, this, I, you, know, you know, something I'm going to, I'm going to say this and, and some people may disagree. I don't know. Uh, but the honeymooners is such a classic show mm-hmm. with, with Jackie Gleason and Ed Norton, yep. you know, Art Carney. I mean, it, it's such a classic show. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like somebody trying to do a remake of Casablanca. Did you like in, the Flint- in some sense? Did you like the Flintstones? Yeah. Did you like the Flintstones? The, well, you, yeah, but you're talking about the Flintstones live action. No, 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 uh, no, no. I'm talking about no, just the, the animated show. Oh, the the original animated Flintstones was terrific. Yeah, and, it, and it's a takeoff on, you know, the honeymooners. Absolutely, right. Yeah. I mean, it can yeah. work. It can work, but I feel, you know, I mean, we will have to. See, I, I will. Res- I will reserve. Yes. My 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 thoughts until yeah. it comes out because first of all I have a tremendous amount of respect for Damon Wayans Jr. Yes, yes, uh, and showrunner uh, Lindsay Shockley. I thought Blackish was a fun uh, TV yeah. show. No, no, it was a terrific and, show. Yeah, you know the the one thing I would say about this is that I almost feel like why don't you do a show that's inspired by the Honeymooners? Okay, I like that. I like right? that. I mean, that's what the Flintstones was. You yeah, know, exactly. you come up with a new show and you you call it something different. But you know it's inspired by by something else. Yeah, yeah. You sure. know, I mean, don't make a secret of that. But uh, you know, so if you're going to come out with a reboot of something, don't call it the same thing. So, so here is here is a question I pose to you, Dave, because you're the the the, the film guy. Um, what films or TV shows do you have? Like a couple that are completely untouchable. Is I mean, is Back to the Future untouchable? Because a lot of people say that that trilogy is kind of like the perfect trilogy, and that people should not even touch it. And I'm not 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 Ooh. just saying this from from a fan standpoint. I'm saying it from a filmmaker standpoint. A lot of filmmakers uh, have said, "Don't remake Back to the Future." You know, I I sit here and and say, "Don't remake anything." <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, for crying out loud! I, I mean, look. I, I get that they want to update stuff and, you know, uh, uh, you know, but but Hollywood to me feels like they're just going into their vaults and trying to reboot things that had worked in the past. Mm-hmm. And instead of, you know, there's there's so many incredibly talented people out there. It's like give some people the unknowns a chance. You know, to 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 do a show. I mean, for crying out loud, I you know that to me would be much more entertaining than just constantly like you know. Would you reboot Gilligan's Island? Mm-hmm. Well, they you tried know? rebooting the Brady Bunch, and I can tell you that 
those films were kind of funny. Like I, they, they crash and burn though. Yeah, they do. They do crash and burn. And I get that. I, I totally get that. I, I, I mean, I will tell you like in re in recent memory now, uh, like the reboot of Hawaii five Oh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was, that was a cool reboot. I, I thought that worked for the most part. Yeah. The TV show. And but, I, and I, and I got into yeah. it for a few seasons, you know, yeah, just like I, SWAT. I, I, like, I, okay I, feel, with it. I feel like SWAT is okay too. Like I, yeah. I've over, over the years, I, I really like Shamar Moore and I really like that. I know that Vegas at one point had been, you know, remade. And I think there's a lot of those things out there, but, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends on the writing, really, whether or not it's going to stick around. Like, I know they've tried to reboot Knight Rider so many times, and they just can't get the original David Hasselhoff, you know, thing vibe going that made it popular back in the 80s yeah. for whatever reason. I, I, I don't know why you would reboot that show. That show was that show. Yeah, I mean, I, it was, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, that's the show. You yeah. know, why not, why don't you, you know, uh, uh, do some digital restoration and enhancements and just put that show back <laughs> out uh, on the air? I mean, you know, or just seriously. I agree with but I agree with you. Like Back to the Future, you know, don't remake Back to the Future. Yeah. Don't remake Indiana Jones. Yeah. You know, a- add another chapter with Harrison Ford. Pass the torch to you know have him pass the torch to the next guy. Yeah. You know that the, all those things are fine. Don't remake Casablanca. Don't remake you know uh, you know uh, uh, these uh, Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns. Yeah. You know what I mean? Those movies are the, those films are perfect the way you know, they are. I, yeah, you know, and we're going to talk about Sidney Poitier because I know, you know, we're, we're talking about some remakes, but I can tell you that um, oh, the remake of the the Blackboard Jungle, uh, um, uh, uh, danger, not Dangerous Minds, uh, what was it, uh, with Michelle Pfeiffer. Anyway, uh, that was an amazing remake, I feel, yeah. just because of the 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 change in times from when Cindy Poitier, Cindy Poitier yeah. did it versus when Michelle Pfeiffer did it with the whole Coolio song and everything I think was. But Al John, there you go though. It's a different title. It's mm-hmm. inspired by, right. It's a re rework of it. Look, you know, Steven Spielberg this year remade uh West side story. That's right. 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 He did. He did a beautiful job. It's a, it's an excellent telling retelling of that story. Uh, and he made some tweaks to it. Uh, of the two, the classic one stands on its own. I happen to like his version of it better. Uh, I get it. Uh, yeah. Okay. I get it. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, so anyway, yeah. there, I mean, we could go on and on well, I about feel like, this I stuff. Feel like this is, I feel like this is going to be another show uh, in and of itself about what, <laughs> like, let's talk, let's talk film. You know, really get into it with with you, Dave, because there are some there are some great examples of remakes and great examples of remakes gone wrong. And I think that would be an awesome uh, discussion because I I do think Disney did some really good remakes and they did some retellings of things like I feel Maleficent and Cruella are good examples of how you can kind of add to the story and the mythology Yes. And still tell a new story instead of rehashing old ground, right? Absolutely, because you're extending the story. Exactly. You know, you're you're adding chapters to it, and I think that's great. Uh, but also, you can misfire on that, which we saw. Uh, we saw that with uh, the Ghostbusters, uh, the third Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. Right. Uh, that was a misfire, uh, but they made uh, up the, for it. <laughs> 
They made up for it with Ghostbusters Afterlife, they which was a perfect did. film. Certainly it really did. was. Certainly did. Well, we'll see what happens here uh, with Damon Wayans and, and this whole um, Honeymooners thing. And I can't tell you that, as a side note, the kind of reintroduction of the Twilight Zone um, with um, with Jordan Peele, I think, as the yeah. EP, yeah. I think is 75% good. Like I give it a 75% overall because I love the twilight zone. I think the twilight zone was an amazing series in both incarnations from the sixties yeah. and the eighties. But I can tell you that he, I think he he's doing it justice. So Rod Serling would be proud. I think. All right. Yeah. Um, how about this now going into some Saturn news, Disney plus uh, actress, Kim, me Sue from snowdrop passes away suddenly at the age of 29. Uh, this the, is shocking. It shocking. is. It is. 29. Act, yeah. Korean actress Kim Mi-soo tragically died at the age of 29. She gained popularity for her role in the Disney Plus series Snowdrop as a student activist who shares a women's dormitory with protagonist Young Ro, played by Jisoo K-pop group Blackpink. Uh, late actress agency Landscape released a statement on Wednesday and her cause of her death was not uh, disclosed, but she, um, the statement says we, uh, are deeply sorrowful in with sadness. Please refrain from reporting false rumors and speculation. So the family can mourn in peace. Uh, very sad indeed, especially for someone so young, Kim, mm-hmm. whose surname is Misu is credited to have acted in two films, memories and Kyung Young Gim's world and JTBC's drama hit series, human Luak. Um, so she was just starting in her career and, um, it's very sad when a, a youth, uh, who has so much promise, uh, or any, anybody really at that age passes away. Mm, I agree. Uh, you also sent me this note here about Peter Bogdanovich, Oscar nominated director and champion of Hollywood's golden age who passes away at the age of 82. A lot yeah, of people, very sad. yeah, a lot of people remain, uh, you know, know him. Uh, with The Last Picture Show, What's Up Doc, and Paper Moon, uh, served as a surrogate film professor for a generation. Um, I know that you're a fan of his work. Um, Dave. Yeah, you know, he was, uh, he had a recurring role on The Sopranos, mm-hmm. uh, if you watch that series. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he was a good actor uh, and a great director. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Uh, you know, people will remember him from those uh, those films. Will remember his uh, picture show follow ups. You know, with What's Up Doc and Paper Moon, uh, with Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand. So that's uh, that's where I would know him from. Yeah. Um, you know, because my my house growing up was like a Barbara Streisand house. <laughs> it was like Barbara Streisand all the time. Um, so there you have that. And then we'll kind of end things um, with a a titan in the industry. Sidney Poitier, who I alluded to earlier, the star of the big screen, dies at 94. This Oscar-winning actor had had so many memorable film roles, Lilies of the Field, To Sir With Love, In the Heat of the Night, Broke Barriers, served as an inspiration for generations, and uh, once again, just a titan uh, in this industry, passing away at 94, just uh, really, amazing. I mean, uh, what an incredible actor and, and somebody who broke so many barriers. Um, I mean, you know, just, uh, and, and an amazing life story, 
you know, the fact that, uh, you know, he, he lived in, you know, a bathroom stall and on a rooftop and, uh, you know, he, he was homeless uh, for a, a small portion of time when he arrived in New York to pursue his acting career. Uh, and, you know, this is a guy who uh, his family uh, grew tomatoes in the Bahamas uh and uh you know he he really uh climbed the ladder and and had an amazing life i mean to live to 94 we should all be so lucky yeah i i will remember him uh, from uh blackboard jungle just an amazing amazing movie and also the defiant ones as well i yes. think it's kind yeah. of like with, with tony curtis with tony curtis yeah. i mean that's just yeah. it's a great i mean that's really kind of the archetype for those kind of movies yeah um and know. virgil tibbs yes yes detective exactly. virgil tibbs yep Yep. Yep. You know. Yep. Uh, and racing I in mean, the sun too. You know that, that yeah. was kind of like required um, for all of us yeah. to read. But to watching the film is also just amazing. I mean, look, we can't we can't go on and on. I mean, we could we could do a whole episode on the life and times of Sidney Poitier, but uh, he will be missed. Um, he's but definitely he's, an all-time he's great. Left, he's left behind such a great body of work uh, for people to enjoy for decades to come. Well, speaking of that and that legacy. Let's now move on to some awesome, awesome stories. Skull Rock Podcast. To infinity and beyond. Exploring the outer reaches of the Disney galaxy. Whoa! Oh, wow, you flew magnificently. Oh, man. It is the birthday that we remember Roy E. Disney, a friend of yours for sure, and definitely... Uh, one of the shining stars and and definitely um, someone that has left a, a huge, huge mark, not just with the Disney brand and the company, but uh, in pop culture, um, standing all by himself, you know, outside of, uh, you know, Walt and, and, and Roy and, and all that, all the other Disney's uh, there. But um, you had a great relationship with Roy. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about how you came to know Roy E. Disney? Well, I, I got to know Roy uh, at the Walt Disney Animation Studios uh, when I worked there. Uh, and uh, ultimately, Roy, when I first started, had res already resigned from the company. He, re he had resigned from the board of directors uh, of the company that bore his last name. And um, because he didn't like the direction it was going in. And uh, and he ultimately came back triumphantly because he managed to not only save the company, but also bring in a new management team. Uh, so I, 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 I cannot stress this enough, Al John, but the Walt Disney Company, love it, hate it, you know, ambivalent about it, uh, love parts of it, don't like parts of it. The Walt Disney Company, the way it is today would not be here uh, if it were not for what Roy E. Disney did in saving the company. Because there was a financier on Wall Street, uh, Saul Steinberg, who, was, who had bought up a big chunk of, of Disney stock, and he was angling to break the company up and sell its parts off because he, he felt as though the company was worth more in pieces sold off to the highest bidder 
than it was as a whole. Right. Let's let's provide some context for that because this hostile takeover, if you will, actually, you know, what the plans were being laid out, and Disney was, I guess, maybe during that time that that you had had met Roy E was was kind of. I was kind of in a in an interesting position because animation had kind of been, I I, I would say it's not been its strongest position for animation. Which was well, let, let, I I think people have to understand that Walt Disney Animation Studios goes through cycles, mm-hmm. as does everything. You know, I mean, you know, our year goes through a cycle of seasons, you know, and, uh, and it's very true about everything else out there in the world. Uh, and companies go through their seasons that repeat, uh, you know, you have your up years, you have down years, you know, there's a cycle in place that happens. And I can tell you that you can go through the timeline of Disney animation and you can, you can pick out where the comp, where animation is peaking and then cresting and coming down into a Valley. And then once it hits the bottom, when it's going to come back out. And I will tell you, I started at the Walt Disney company in early 1984 and, and animation, not just at Disney, but animation in general was in a trough. Mm-hmm. It was it was starting. It was kind of hitting bottom, if you will. Uh, and um, when when Roy brought in Michael Eisner and Frank Wells uh, to run the company, and then they brought in people like Jeffrey Katzenberg and David Hoberman and all of those kinds of folks, um, that was a turning point. You know, I think the company had kind of hit bottom, and and, and we were starting an upswing. Uh, and those guys, when they came in, didn't know animation. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they were going to do was they were going to shut down the animation department. And Roy said, no, you can't do that. Animation's the cornerstone of the Walt Disney company. If animation is well, the company will be well. Yeah. And he became chairman of the Walt Disney animation studios. Roy did. Uh, as well as vice chairman of the company. And, and I, have to, I have to tell you, he was spot on because it, after that had happened, we, we, we started going into uh, films like um, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and The Little Mermaid. And, uh, and Roy was a champion of bringing technology in and is really responsible for pushing Frank Wells to allocate the funds to put in the computer animation production system, the CAP system. Uh, at Walt Disney Animation Studios. So there, there's a lot of things that Roy Disney did behind the scenes that have had this ripple effect that are paying dividends to this day. Uh, and so I think, I think the fan base out there owes, owes Roy a, you know, a huge amount of accolades and kudos because uh, of what he did. I think you, 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 you talked about a couple things that I'm going to come back and circle back on, but let's give the uninitiated a little bit of background and context to Roy E um, being the son of Roy O who founded Walt Disney company with his uncle Walt. And 
he was more of a business personality per se. Um, would you would you classify him in in that kind of mold of a of his father uh, in, in terms of that? Um, or being more creative? How was his mindset? I, I, really? I, I think Roy E. was a blend of the two. Okay. That's kind of how I look at it because Roy Roy E., uh, the son of Roy O., Roy O. and Walt were sort of a yin-yang, yes. right? Yes. Uh, Walt was the creative uh, brains of the operation and Roy O. was the business brains. You know, and 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 they they really had that kind of a relationship, which uh, it, it, you have to, you know, if you're a student of the company, you have to look at that and go, that's why it was successful. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Roy Roy O didn't pretend to make uh, creative decisions. In fact, he he had uh, several times tried to talk Walt out of certain things. <laughs> sure, uh, but Walt was was you know was the creative genius and and said no 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 we got to do this and and it all worked out. You know there there there's a funny story. Um, about the opening of Disneyland uh, and it was such a zoo and more people showed up than they ever had imagined. Right. Uh, And when Roy O and his wife Edna pulled into the parking lot at Disneyland, uh, an executive came over to Roy O and he said, Roy, there's so many people here. There's not enough bathrooms. There's people urinating in the parking lot. And Roy stood there apparently and looked at this massive crowd and he just smiled and he said, let them pee. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> no, that's awesome. I, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's that kind of a, a, a thing because I think Roy O had his reservations about Disneyland. Uh, but Walt had this strong vision of what he wanted to do and he followed through on it. So, you know, Roy E to me was a producer, director, writer. Uh, he was involved in a lot of the nature films that were being done at the company in the fifties and the, into the sixties. And so, you know, he, he had some creative chops, uh, and he also had some business chops, you know, and I think he's unfairly portrayed sometimes as being sort of the numbskull, uh, son or, you know, the, uh, idiot prince and things like that, 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 that had been hurled around, uh, uh, over the years by, I think the uninitiated because Roy, was one of those guys that was very grounded. He knew who he was. He knew what sway he had uh, over things, uh, but he didn't take it for granted. And I think he was very respectful of people. Well, that that's that's great. And that's why I think this conversation is, is wonderful to have because you really do um, kind of dispel some of these myths that people hear, and I know I've overheard over the years, but I know better because I read your book, um, <laughs> you know, and which, by the way, uh, I'm going to try to put a link on it, um, you know, on on uh, where you can get the book, because I know right now that it's it's out of print. But uh, at least I think but, it's you out know, of print. But the but thing uh, I will tell you is that I, 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 I'm rewriting uh, that book. That was oh. my first book. I'm okay. actually going to do a rewrite uh, and add some more stories. But more than that, I'm going to add a ton more pictures. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great news. Yeah. Here it is. Breaking news. 
uh, breaking news. It's a news. scoop. It's, it's a, a scoop. scoop. We're bringing you another scoop. Well, it's funny because that's how you and I first met is uh, talking about remembering Roy E. Disney. Um, yeah. That book and talking to Roy's son, which is awesome too. Which uh, yeah, yeah. Which I really appreciated that. But but going back on on the time that you had met Roy and saving the company not once but twice when when Roy was in the company um there was i guess you could say a little uh, that contention between what the disney uh, the 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 administration that brought about the disney decade right because yeah. you had ron miller and you can go into the the situation with ron miller and michael eisner uh, there with Roy. Can you tell us about the dynamic between Ron, who, by the way, I don't know a whole lot about, but for whatever reason, uh, I don't know a whole lot about Ron yeah. Miller's, uh, you know, dynamic in there, but I do know about Michael Eisner. I do know about Roy, D Roy E. Disney. So can you tell us about that, that relationship between the three? Well, of them? I, I really didn't know Ron Miller very well. All I can tell the audience is that Ron Miller was actually Walt Disney's son-in-law. Uh, Ron was married to Diane Disney, Walt's daughter, uh, and uh, he worked at the company uh, and uh, ultimately became uh, CEO uh, of the Walt Disney Company. And he, and he did some very good things, uh, but the, there were some things that were they were tentative about uh, that they didn't get get involved with soon enough. There were things that they could have done better. Uh, and I think that when Roy stepped down off the board, he wasn't fully happy with the direction of the company. It was kind of still languishing, uh, uh, you know, since, since Walt had passed away in 1966. And, and by the way, you know, we had um, Steve Anderson on our show uh, a, a few months ago, and uh, he mentioned the book that he's working on, uh, which is about that 20 year period from 1966 to 1986. Yeah. Um, that really there hasn't been very much written about. And so I, I really ha have to give kudos to, to Steve Anderson for, for writing this. And he spent a lot of years researching and interviewing people for this book. Uh, and I, I'm just really excited for it to come out because I I've had a glimpse at it. And I, I actually uh, had a chance to read uh, the book uh, and give Steve some notes and things. And I'm very excited. I learned a lot off of this book, but, yeah. but, the, but there was this period after Walt passed away where it was like the company just languished. And there was a lot of, people in the company saying, well, what would Walt do for, you know, all these big decisions they were trying to make? What would Walt do? What would Walt do? And, you know, what Walt wouldn't have done was to, you know, do something he had already done. You know, he would do something new. He would push the boundaries. Uh, Walt never liked to repeat himself. But but the company, after Walt passed away, became uh, somewhat, uh, it languished uh, for about 20 years. Was that just because of not only the void, but then, you, you know, it's the vision, 
right? I mean, a company without the vision yeah. or that visionary leading the company definitely feels like it's a it's a boat without a rudder, right? Moving upstream. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, you have to have a very strong leader up front, uh, you know, leading. You know, look, I, I the 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 greatest CEO I think since Walt Disney was Bob Iger, mm-hmm. uh, who just finished his his fifteen year run as the CEO of the company, and mm-hmm. and there was a guy who made bold decisions, you know. Uh, they bought Pixar, they bought Marvel, they bought Lucasfilm. I mean, he, and, and he was <clears throat> secure enough uh, in, in who he was uh, to allow those, those new companies that they had just, those companies they acquired to, to run themselves, you know, to continue doing their thing. Uh, which is what made them great anyway, right? So, I, I, look, I I have to say that uh, you know after Walt died, you had a lot of people in the company in executive positions who had grown up at the company working with Walt. Uh, so I think they were all trying to be respectful of what Walt would have done, you know, and they were always trying to figure out what, what that was going to be. And I think it hampered them from, uh, from taking, uh, calculated risks and, and doing new things. When, when Michael Eisner kind of took over CEO from Ron Miller back in what, 84, 85 was, how was that relationship with Roy E. Disney at that point? Because well, um, I I think it I think it was a very good uh, relationship. One of the things that I don't think a lot of people realize, um, uh, Roy E. had gone to school with Frank Wells. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had gone to college together, so Roy knew Frank from, from uh, his his years in college, uh, and Frank Wells was an executive who ran Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was over at Warner Brothers for many many years, uh, and Roy's first choice to be CEO of the Walt Disney Company was Frank Wells. Uh, and it was Michael Eisner who said he wouldn't come on board unless he was the CEO and, uh, he didn't want to be president. He wanted to be the CEO and Frank, to his credit, he didn't care. He was like, fine, let, let Michael be the CEO. I'll be the, I'll be the president, you know? Yeah. And, and so, uh, and, and by the way, all this is happening in Roy Disney's, uh, uh, living room. In Toluca uh, Lake, California. Really? Yeah. You wow. know, so there's the, all of the strategy and how this was all going to work. And, and I think that, again, you had Frank Wells and Michael Eisner as a good yin yang. Uh, and I think in those early years, the first whatever it was, four or five years of this or six years, it worked really well. And the company was growing really well. And, and Roy had a voice in some of the big decisions. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, yeah. and, and, you know, things like, you know, Roy pushed for the animal kingdom to be built down in Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, those people who love the Disney animal kingdom, you have Roy E. Disney to thank for that. He was the one that championed that park. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I know you spend a lot of time in your book talking about that. But, you know, the love of of conservation and animals I know is deep rooted with the Disney's, especially with Walt and his nature films that he really spearheaded. But um, having Roy E kind of, 
I guess, take the reins, as it were, and, and continue that legacy with the nature um, conservation in, in Animal Kingdom. I mean, mm-hmm. it must have been something that uh, was certainly very deep-rooted in in his uh, relationship with Walt. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. Without question. I mean, you know, there there's some great stories uh, of, you know, Roy doing nature films that he had to show to Walt. You know, and and some some funny funny things that that uh, came of the, uh, uh, out of those those films <laughs> yeah. and conversations and whatnot. But you know, I I will say some of my fondest memories of hanging out with Roy uh, was was going to the Disney Animal Kingdom down in Orlando at Walt Disney World uh, because we always got to go sort of behind the scenes, you know, where the public didn't get to go. Uh, And that was kind of cool. What happens when you take a Disney or when a Disney takes you to the park? Do they just kind of roll out the red carpet? It's like, Mr. Disney, here you are. And, uh, you you know, know, (laughs) you know, I I have to tell you, uh, uh, he was not somebody who was into a lot of pomp and circumstance, Mm -hmm. you know, when it came to that kind of stuff. I mean, clearly, when we went down to the park, uh, you know, to to or whether it was Disneyland or or out in uh, Florida at Walt Disney World, um, he, uh, you know, he he kind of kept a low profile. Uh, we we did have a, one of the plaid vest uh, guides, uh, you know, that that would take us, you know, be with us, you know, uh, and that was always kind of a cool thing. Uh, but you know, the one thing I always loved was being, you know, uh, backstage. Uh, you know, because especially down in Florida, the property's so big down there, you know, being able to to, you know, drive backstage, you know, at Epcot and park behind one of the pavilions and pop into the park that way was always a lot of fun. Do you have a particular funny story? Because I know occasionally, gang, I know it's you find it hard to believe, but Dave and I do talk outside of the podcast and sometimes before we start recording. But is there any fun stories you could possibly tell about, you know, maybe taking a trip to the park with with Roy E just kind of. You know, I there's actually so many of them. You know, one of the more memorable ones was uh, when they uh, they had a um, uh, a dentist who had to remove a tooth from a silverback gorilla. Oh, Uh, and, and we were standing right there. I mean, you know, I, I, I put my hand on the gorilla's hand, you know, which, which by the way, was like five times the size of my hand, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, uh, but, you know, obviously the, they had the gorilla sedated. Uh, and, and I was also in for um, a, uh, a just a, an annual checkup on one of the cheetahs. <laughs> Uh, at, at the animal kingdom. And again, you know, the, the animal sedated, but, you know, uh, and, and you're kind of, uh, you know, standing back while the veterinarian team is doing, you know, their thing with checking the vitals and drawing blood and, you know, making sure those animals, I got to tell you, they do such a great job taking care of all those animals at the animal kingdom. It really is amazing. And you don't really get a sense of that until you really go behind the scenes. That's awesome. Okay, that those are those are great stories, and of course, what who better to experience that stuff with than a Disney like Roy E. Disney? You know, I got I got one story that I I really I want to tell everybody this because this was one of those moments where you, you almost get choked up, you know. But Roy and I were having dinner 
at a restaurant um, in, uh, I guess it would have been, what's it called now? It it was downtown Disney in Orlando. They're calling it something else. Disney Springs. Disney Springs. Mm -hmm. So I I think at the time it was, it was, it was downtown Disney. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And, uh, and Roy and I are in a nice restaurant on downtown Disney. We're sitting at a table, just the two of us, we're having dinner. And all of a sudden, and, and by the way, when you're in a restaurant at Walt Disney World and you're with Roy, you will notice people are turning and kind of, you know, stopping and looking over, you know, and you I kind of try to ignore it, you know, <laughs> but we're sitting there chatting away and this little girl walks up to the table Oh, and we stop and we look at her and she goes, she says to Roy, Mr. Disney. I just want you to know that me and my family are having such a great time at this park. And I wanted to thank you myself, you know, and you, you really, you, you start to, you start to get choked up when, when, when you see something like that. And he was so nice to her, so nice to her that she walked away beaming from the table. That's awesome. Like I can tell that you're, you're emotional talking about it. And oh I am my too gosh. Because it, it's, it's, it really was one of those, the sweetest moments I, I ever experienced, you know? Well, I think and, if I had an opportunity to say that I would too, because yeah. I think, you know, it's just, it's just such a wonderful thing. Not only, well, this is why we do the show. We love Disney. We love the brand and yes, we can be critical of it, but at the end of the day, it brings so much joy into people's lives. And I know that it's brought a tremendous amount of joy um, walking through the parks and looking at Disney as it were, and your contributions, Dave, too. Um, You know, we have Walt and his family and Roy E and, and Roy O to thank for the stuff that we're experiencing today. And you're absolutely right. I mean, Disney wouldn't be the company it is today if Roy didn't save it not once, but twice. Exactly. You know, and, and I think, I think, you know, I think people really have to, uh, uh, sort of step back and, and look, you know, I, I completely understand that there's people in the fan base who aren't happy with some of the things that are going on, uh, across the company. Uh, but you know, again, as I said earlier, Al John, the company goes through cycles, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. ups and downs and you know what uh usually things work themselves out uh and and i'm very optimistic uh you know i i, I know bob jpec who's the ceo of the company i know some people are upset with some of the things he's done but you want to know something he stepped into this role at a really difficult time no doubt just like just like bob Iger did when <laughs> right. he took over from michael eisner that's right right i mean people uh, people may not have have the memory for that you know people may not you know remember back that far but you know when bob Iger took over there was all kinds of you know grousing and griping about it and and you know things that he was going to do and you know there were people upset and stuff well all i can say is he's had he had an amazing 15-year run and did so many great things for the company including 
bringing back Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, right? Uh, among <laughs> many other great things. You're not partial. And, 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 and you know something? Yes. Bob Chapek stepped into the CEO CEO role at the beginning of this pandemic this almost true. two years ago. This is true. You know, and and so you know, cut this guy some slack, and you know, give him some time to get his sea legs, get his team in place, and see what he's going to do because Bob Chapek has been with the company for I think over 25 years mm -hmm. and you know he's he's experienced and and been a key executive in many different parts of the company including parks and you know home entertainment and consumer products and stuff like that so all I would say is people calm down give them a chance you know, he's steering the ship through some pretty choppy waters at the moment. Oh, I, I agree with you, Dave. I say well, I can cut him some slack if he if he installs a brand new PR team. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know what? I, that's happening, I think. Oh, you know? and I think that's a good thing. But I, yeah. I have to say you're you're absolutely right. I mean, change is not easy. For people, no. especially when you look back in history, as we go back, you know, going from the Walt Disney era to the Iger and I'm not Eisner era. We go yeah. to the Eisner era. And in that transition, you know, in that four year stint of, uh, you know, you've got um, Ron Miller being with a, a CEO of the company for, you know, maybe just a handful of years and then moving into Michael Eisner and, and that, that rebirth of, of, of Disney. But then a, but then you have that that whole contentious relationship as things were kind of, you know, great at the outset with the partnership. You have Eisner and Roy E. kind of working things out, but then all of a sudden things sour. Um, did he ever tell you, um, you know, going back and it's like, where did where did things kind of go wrong? Where the, the, the ship started going in a bad direction for him? For, uh, for Roy? For Roy, yeah. Well, you know something. I I think that you can pinpoint the uh, when um, uh, uh, Frank Wells, who was president of the company, when he was killed in the helicopter crash, mm -hmm. uh, skiing in the backcountry of the Rockies or wherever it was, uh, mm -hmm. Sierra Nevadas, I guess it was. Um, you know that that really was a, a pivotal moment because you know Michael and Frank were this yin and yang. Uh, Michael kind of fancied himself a creative person and Frank was the business guy. Mm -hmm. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, they were, it was kind of a mimicking of, of Walt and Roy. Uh, and I say that very loosely, <laughs> by the way, I don't want anybody yelling at <laughs> right. me. How can you say such a, but, but, but loosely as an example, right. So Frank mm -hmm. and, and Michael had this yin yang relationship. And when Frank was killed in the helicopter crash, uh, Michael uh, lost, his rudder, so to speak, yeah, um, and became very, very mercurial um, and micromanaged things. I mean, he he was, you know, uh, when things started really getting crazy. You know, people didn't want to stick their head up and offer uh, alternate uh, opinions or viewpoints on things uh, for fear of having their heads chopped off. And, uh, you know, Michael was getting into things like picking wallpaper and color of carpet and things for resorts, which, you know, that that's micromanagement. You yeah. know, uh, it really is. And, and I think that uh, he also uh, wasn't treating 
Roy very well or, or listening to Roy, sure. uh, you know, like he was early on. And so that's when things started to spiral out. Yeah. I, I think, I think that um, there, I can't wait for more stuff to be written about, I guess this is, it's been long uh, uh, described to people of being a little bit of a taboo to discuss, you know, that, that era Um, for whatever reason, I think people have been very quiet about it, but looking at this new book, I'm hoping um, that it'll shine more of a light. And I'm sure Dave, over the course of this podcast, we're going to continue to talk more about uh, what has gone on in that era because you were such a, a part of it and having that kind of transitionary, that bridge uh, with your relationship with Roy E that we can discuss further in, in, in more podcasts. Um, you know, and, and the, you know, the one thing I would say yeah. about it all is that, you know, Roy uh, was very much down to earth. He was really one of, he was one of the guys, you know, he was part of the team, Uh, He was extremely approachable. And the thing I like to tell people is that Roy treated people all the same. You know, Roy would talk to a security host or a cast member uh, at the parks or in one of the buildings the same way he would talk to the president of the United States or or a head of state in Europe or wherever. Um, he was respectful, uh, on the same level to everybody, That's you know, and that, and that's a rare quality, you know, because there's plenty of executives that are, you know, stomping through hallways that, that pass security hosts or janitors or, you know, uh, low level employees and don't give them, uh, uh, the time of day. Uh, Roy always did. Uh, Roy always said hello and always stopped if somebody came up and wanted to talk to him. Uh, he was always very respectful and he would send notes out. I, there's a great story. I'm going to tell you uh, that, that I, I, I just love this story because, you know, down at Walt Disney world, there's a large contingent of cast members who are really retirees who are doing part-time jobs or, you know, taking positions at, at, at Walt Disney world because they want to continue to contribute right to the uh, workforce. Yeah. And um we were at, uh, um, uh, what was the, 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 the Victorian hotel? Uh, uh, oh, you're talking about the, uh, Grand Floridian. Thank you. Uh-huh. I was, I kept thinking Grand California. It's not yeah. Grand California. <laughs> Grand, the Grand Floridian. Right. We were staying at the Grand Floridian and when we were checking out, um, you know, we, we had a, a bellman, uh, who helped, uh, put the luggage into our rent-a-car uh-huh. and we were going to head to the airport. And from there we were flying up to New York. And so <laughs> you're going to love this. So I, I, I gave the guy a couple bucks and Roy gave the guy a couple of bucks. <laughs> right. All right. And, and we get in the car and we drive off and we get on our flight and we fly up to New York. And when we get to New York, um, Roy, Roy had an apartment in New York that he owned and, and invited me to stay there. And, and I did. Uh, and after I put the bags in my, uh, in my uh, room, I came out into the living room and Roy was standing there looking at his hands. And I said, what's the matter? He goes, he looked up at me. He goes, I, I had money 
and, and all I, you know, I had a lot of money and all I have is a couple dollars. And, and, and I said, and like, we can go to an ATM. He goes, no, no. He goes, I, I literally had a few hundred dollars and I don't know what happened to it. Oh. And I said, do you think you lost it? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, we can go hit an ATM. And then he looked at me again. He goes, I don't have an ATM card. What? <laughs> I know. And, I, and, and then I said, well, I have an ATM card. I'll, I'll take some cash out and lend you some money if you want. And he goes, are you sure? I said, and I laughed and I said, I know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> well, right? yeah, well, so, so, yeah. So, so this, this goes on. And, and by the way, this ties into a, a funny little thing I have in my Roy Disney book. Uh-huh. And that is when we were flying from New York back to Los Angeles, Roy, when we were planning the trip, really wanted to fly uh, from New York to Burbank. And the only airline that we could do that on at the time was JetBlue. And he was, he wanted to fly JetBlue. And I, I had to get, I had to get special permission for us to book that, uh, those tickets on JetBlue <laughs> because United was our carry, you know, the company's carrier, right? right? You know, the, uh, the airline you're supposed to use. That's right. So anyway, we're on the JetBlue plane and Roy is still like after a couple of days in New York where, you know, we get on the flight to go back to Burbank and he's still kind of, you know, thinking about like what happened to that money. And, uh, and I said, listen, if your mind is starting to go, I need you to sign an IOU that you, you, you owe me that hundred bucks I gave you. Right. <laughs> and, and, and he was laughing and I wrote an I, uh, IOU out on uh, a JetBlue cocktail napkin and he signed it. It's in my book. Oh, right? that's right. Yeah, I, yeah. I have, I have it in my scrapbook, but Anyway, we get back to New York. Uh, we get back to Los Angeles, and like a week later, he tells me what happened to the money. He said, "When I went to give the the bellman at the Grand Floridian, who was a guy that looked like he was in his sixties, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Turned out he handed them like three hundred dollars instead of three dollars. That's amazing, right? And the guy returned it to him." What? The guy put the cash in an envelope, wrote a note, said, Dear Roy, I was the bellman at the Grand Floridian, blah, blah, blah. And I think you mistakenly gave me this much money and I wanted to return it to you. Oh, oh my. Right. And so he he sends the money back. And you know what Roy did? Aside from laughing, finally figuring out what happened to the money, Roy wrote the guy a nice note sent it to him with some cash as a tip, as a thank you. Of course he did. Yeah. Of course. But I, I mean, that it was the funniest thing. That is, that is an amazing story. I and mean, it was really, it was, it was actually really, we had, we had a lot of fun. I mean, I have to tell you, it was just kind of crazy. Uh, all the stuff that, that had all the stories, you know, and, 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 you know, I didn't put everything into the book and there were some things I did put into the book, but Disney publishing asked me to remove. I see. And so when I do the rewrite, I'm, I'm actually going to put some of that material back in. Well, I can't wait. I think it's relevant. It is relevant. You know, and we want to know more, you know, the Disney fans want to know more. And I have to say, you know, it's, it's a great read. 
but I'm looking forward to the revised edition, whatever you want to call it, that's coming out because there's just so much more to talk about. And there's, and I guarantee you this is not the first or the last time, not the last time we're going to be talking about this because there's so much more to unpack here. So thank you for sharing those stories for sure. And uh, absolutely. And happy birthday, Roy Edward Disney. Happy 91st. You would have been 90, 91 years old. Uh, and we wish you uh, a, a happy birthday and thank you for everything you've done uh, for the Walt Disney Company uh, while you were on this planet. I can't think. It's it's hard for me to think what kind of mark and how the company would have evolved if he was still around. I agree. I Your absolutely agree. And I think, I think there's a lot of people out there that wish... <laughs> That he was still here. I know I do. It would be it would be great to see how the company would have been if he was still somewhat involved in the company. But that said, your attention, please. Now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your Main Street to the world of Disney. I love that conversation, Dave. We had such a such a great talk. I love you that. know, I, I I love it too, and and I hope from time to time we we just do a show where we chat about things like that uh, because I, I you know there there's so many great stories. And by the way, I would say to our listening audience, if you want to know about some things, you you know, if you have some burning questions, let us know. I, I mean, send us an email, and we will absolutely bring it up on air. So please do that. Absolutely. I encourage that. I also encourage everybody to, if you've just stumbled upon this show, please subscribe and leave us those five-star reviews. We do appreciate it. Every little bit helps that, that almighty algorithm in the internet that I can't understand. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we'll continue to be supplying you with more great content every single week. And maybe, in fact, maybe more in, in the weeks to come. Uh, so please be sure to do that. Once again, email us, Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljohn at SkullRockPodcast.com. Thank you to all of our great supporters who make this show possible because we provide this content for you free every single week. And Dave, I leave it up to you for the last word as always. Well, I, as always, Aljohn, I want to say first and foremost, Happy New Year to everybody. Let's start off the new year in a positive mode and everybody be optimistic that things are going to get better. And as always, peace and love to you all. Go out and have a fantastic week. We look <laughs> forward to uh, bringing you another show next week right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. You did it, Dave. You did it. <laughs> I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, adventures by Disney? 
they can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.